Hey folks, I'm Clayton Collins, the CEO at HW Media. And today we are doing the June 2022 State of Housing podcast episode. We have five guests from HW Media joining us today. I'll give you a quick rundown. We're going to start off talking about inventory. And we have James Kleiman, Managing Editor of Housing Wire's Newsroom, joining us to talk about some of the data and trends in inventory in today's housing market. Then we're bringing in Logan Motoshami to talk mortgage rates and application data. Then we're bringing in Connie Kim, a reporter for Housing Wire, who's going to talk about consumer sentiment. Tracy Belt from Real Trends is talking about real estate broker and agent sentiment. And James Kleiman's coming back to talk about loan originator sentiment. And to take us home today, we have editor-in-chief Sarah Wheeler talking about builder sentiment and some really interesting data that's come out of John Burns' research in the NAHB. So we're talking about all the things that matter, the mortgage data, inventory, rates, applications, and sentiment from consumers, real estate professionals, lenders, and builders. This should be the state of housing all of the, the data, the analytics, and the some of the, the feedback that we hear from our audience and folks across the industry to really give you some color to where the housing market stands today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like and some feedback on iTunes and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We don't do this type of episode often, so I really want some feedback to make sure it's valuable for you, our valued housing news audience. Thank you for your time today. Enjoy the episode. In today's changing market, Rocket Pro TPO gives brokers the tools they need to compete and win more business. Experience Pro Performance, the industry's elite training with three pillars. Sales training gives you the skills to do more for your clients. Platform training helps you maximize Rocket technology and process. All Access combines the best of both trainings in a live session where you'll meet your team. Learn more about Pro Performance at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states and MLS number 3030. All right, folks, we're kicking off the first segment of our state of the housing sector podcast episode for housing news today. And I have James Kleiman, managing editor for, for Housing Wire. He runs our entire newsroom for HW Media. James, welcome. Thanks for having me, Clayton. So, James, there's been a lot of talk about supply and demand, and clearly inventory continually comes up as an important topic for loan originators and real estate professionals and the overall health of the housing economy. We recently covered a report by Black Knight that reported that housing inventory is at a crisis level. Can you give us some context into this report and the overall state of inventory across the United States? Sure. So what Black Knight does is uh, they, they have their internal um, method for calculating inventory. What they basically do is they, they take all of the available inventory in a specific market. They look at, I think, 100 or 200 markets and they say, OK, so if we don't add any additional listings to this market and we have the average rate of sales pace, how quickly would all of this inventory be washed away? And in most of America, uh, at least for the top 100 markets, uh, we're looking at about two months, give or take, you know, and, and I should caution that this is only single family. Um, so, you know, certain larger markets that have a lot of multifamily housing um, are, are not, um, you know, part of this. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, look, it, it kind of reinforces a lot of what we already know, which is um, 
builders are having a really difficult time getting homes constructed, selling them, they, they can do that. That's no problem. Um, but getting them actually done is, is a totally different matter. And so, you know, in, in a lot of the country, you just, you can't meet demand. And we have a major housing shortage that is more than a decade, you know, in, in, in process. This is not a problem that emerged yesterday or at the beginning of the pandemic. This is something that has, has been really uh, kind of brewing for a while. So part of the report uh, shared that less than 10% of the markets that Black Knight covers are categorized as very hot or, or distressed because inventory is, is so low. Are there any specific trends amongst those markets that are showing up as overly hot that were surprising to you or, or notable for the housing news audience? Yeah, there were. That's that's a really good question. One thing that we know, uh, having covered the housing market for a long time, is that you know the the higher the price of the home, typically the longer it sells. And and having covered luxury real estate for years, you know, if, if there's a three million dollar listing in most markets in America, that's going to be sitting on the shelf for a long time because there just aren't that many buyers typically that have either the means or the interest in acquiring a huge property in say like the suburbs of Chicago, right? And and what we're seeing now is is those trends are really. Um, reversing a little bit, you know, owing partly to the lack of inventory, but also there are a lot of people who made a lot of money over the last few years. There's a lot more cash that's looking for a home, both literally and figuratively. And so that $3 million home in Miami, you know, that'll get snatched up in two months now, you know, where previously it it might've taken, you know, a a good chunk longer. So Black Knight's reporting that we're still at crisis levels, but if you talk to real estate professionals and start to look at some of the listing data, it does seem like more inventory is coming to market and days on market is beginning to extend. Is this report more or less favorable than other than the last several months in 2022, as we've been reporting on the same topic? So it's not more or less favorable. They, they take kind of a different look at, at you okay. know, where we're looking in, in terms of inventory now and some of the obstacles to creating new homes. And so they break down, you know, issues in zoning and, and NIMBYs, as, as they're they're known colloquially, much to their dismay. Um, it, it takes a pretty sober look at, at you know, where where inventory levels are in America. It doesn't really factor in all, all of the other noise out there. We know that there are more homes that are coming to market. I believe there was a report on Realtor.com maybe Monday that found that, you know, we, we reached the highest point in May since, I want to say, 2019. And, and that's good. That's encouraging. But you would need that record May every month for the rest of the year and next year and the year after that to even start approaching the levels of inventory that we need to actually, you know, reach reach a, a healthier state of the market. So, James, I have one more question for you on inventory, a topic that's been pretty hot in 2022 and I guess started earlier in the, 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 the COVID induced housing boom has been institutional buyers and institutional investors. Do you believe that institutional investors are having a meaningful impact on inventory and home prices as we, as we navigate through summer of 2022, what should be this peak buying season? It's a great question. And it depends where you live. And so if if you, Clayton, if you were to ask somebody in Phoenix, if I buyers and other institutional uh, investors were having uh, a large impact on on inventory and how the housing market is going, they will tell you 100% yes. If you ask those same, uh, you know, if you ask someone in, say, you know, a, a Tony area in California, 
they would say no, you know, because these these players are, are really finding very specific markets. So in Raleigh, yes. In, you know, Phoenix, yes. In parts of Florida and kind of the Sun Belt, absolutely. In other parts of the country, say the suburbs of Philadelphia, they've never heard of Open Door. They've never heard of any of these companies because they just don't really have much of an impact, you know. And, and when we think about the term institutional buyers, I think it's often misleading. You know, we think of like Blackstone or or these large, you know, private equity funds. Uh, but in terms of a lot of the data, it just means that you have a different address listed when you bought the home. And so technically speaking, I am an investor for a home that I own in Pennsylvania. I am not an investor, you know. And so, you know, there's a lot of noise around some of this data. Um, but for the most part, overall, in the entirety of the housing market, we're talking a few percentages. We're not talking double digits or anything close to it. But in isolated markets, yes, that is true. Thank you so much, James. Thanks, Quentin. All right, Logan, welcome to the Housing News Podcast. Thanks for making time to to join us this morning. Welcome. It's great to be here, Clayton. All right. We just talked to James about inventory and we're going through a lot of housing data and topics today for the housing news podcast. I want to specifically speak with you about two big topics, mortgage rates and applications. So let's start with rates. We've obviously saw one of the the fastest increases in 30 year fixed rate mortgage pricing um, that our housing economy may have ever seen earlier in, um, in February in March and rates have been, you know, relatively consistent in the fives. And it seems like over the last few weeks, rates started to, to tick back down, but it seems like that may have reversed course over the last week. Can you give us the state of mortgage rates today and let's talk about some of the trends that are driving interest rate trends in the coming month? So I always work off the bond market, not the mortgage backed securities. And yep. uh, what has kind of happened is after the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, the 10-year yield really made an aggressive move in a very short amount of time. And I think to me, what, what I saw is that the market was really pricing in a lot of the Fed rate hikes on the long end. So mortgage rates and the 10-year yield just shot up. Uh, and then the mortgage-backed security market, there was some stress there. So rates were higher than what they typically were. And then they started to kind of calmed down a little bit and started somewhat kind of get back in line, but uh, not 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 on a one-to-one basis. And then the 10-year yield had dropped recently um, and it's retreated back up a little bit higher. But, you know, when I think of mortgage rates and the 10-year yield, you go back to 20, 20 kind of 12 period from all the way that then to here. And we just have not been able to successfully break above 3% with any kind of uh, uh, um manner or duration or any kind of velocity. Uh, We've been here so many times that I created a meme uh, that, you know, whenever the 10-year yield goes above 3%, then it falls back down. I survived the 3% 10-year because people tend to get really crazy (laughs) when the 10-year yield is 3%. But um, for now, to me, it's it's the tug of war, right? Uh, On one hand, uh, some of the inflationary data looks like it's peaking, but then the whole oil situation, uh, commodity prices, and does the Fed even have any kind of tools to deal with supply-side inflation in that regard? Traditionally speaking, when the dollar gets stronger, oil tends to get weak because world growth gets weak. That's not happening this time. Um, 
So the economic data is slowing. Uh, I mean, we're not traditionally a fast recovery economy or fast growing economy anyway. So that tug of war is we're just sitting here right now. And what direction is it going to go? Is it going to head back down uh, as the economy gets weaker, bond yields will fall down? Uh, it's not so much. A lot of people are focusing, well, the Fed's going to raise rates and the 10-year yield will go with it. No, the 10-year yield's got well ahead of the rates. And I always focus people on back in 2018, when we look at the two-year yield, the 10-year yield, uh, mortgage rates, they kind of all moved together back then. Uh, here it was different. Boy, the, the long end of the market got well ahead of the uh, Fed rate uh, hikes. So we're stuck here. and We've been here for a little bit of time. And I think that Hopefully that makes sense to people. So when people say, well, the Fed's going to hike and raise, no, a lot of that is already kind of priced in. It's the question is, do you believe the U.S. economy is about to make another leg higher and the world economy's growth is about to pick up? Or are you in the camp that things are slowing down and eventually bond yields will go down uh, with it? Uh, that's the tug of war. I don't believe not only us, but the entire world, we're not a fast growing economy anymore. So there's some... Uh, uh, demand destruction that's being uh, done out there. And uh, of course, we now see what higher rates have done to application data. Um, and going back to the summer of 2020, when we wrote that piece for Housing Wire, what can cool down the housing market is a 10-year yield above 1.94%. Now, that was like in August of 2020. The other variable is, guess what? If home prices grow above 23% in a five-year period, uh, that is a net negative. We had that happen in two years and home prices are still double digits. Even the weekly prints that we're seeing, a savagely unhealthy housing market is still here. But purchase application data is now noticeably going down. Now, for me, I was looking for 18 to 22% four-week moving average declines on a year-over-year -year basis. Traditionally, that's what happens when demand gets weak. We're working our way to there. The four-week moving average is about 16.5%. Of course, the refinance market is is completely been uh, knocked out of its atmosphere. I think mortgage applications itself in general, which I don't like to really focus on because the refinance application part of it is so wild, is at 22-year low. So we see what higher mortgage rates have done to demand. Uh, sales trends are falling. This is similar to what happened in 2013-14 and 2018-19. and 19. Rates go up. It takes a little bit of time to really get into the marketplace. Uh, so uh, demand is falling like it's done in the past. Uh, inventory is slowly now finally becoming positive on a year-over-year -year basis, and uh, hopefully we can get more gains on that because this savagely unhealthy housing market is really based on the total inventory data is too low, and that kind of uh, emphasizes itself on the home price growth data. You know, I just posted about Orange County here. We're up 16% year-over-year, even though sales are declining, and this is the problem with having total inventory in the United States of America, under 1.52 million. So Logan, over the last two weeks, the average 30-year fixed rate pricing has has come up about 25 basis points from five and a quarter to five and a half percent. In that same period, just like you mentioned, application volume is down. Just today, we got the most recent Mortgage Bankers Association market composite report, which showed that apps declined six and a half percent to a 22-year low over the last week or, or over prior year. Do you think that what's your viewpoint on what's driving the decline in apps? Is this more inventory driven or more driven by this recent progression in interest rates? It's it's demand 
destruction. Uh, there, there always was, I, I think people who are familiar with my work over the years, I never believed in the low inventory holding sales back. I mean, I was on an island on that, but that's been kind of my main talking point. So when demand gets weaker, inventory rises. When demand gets better, inventory falls. Uh, so we, we've had this, we've had the best home sales data um, in 2020 and 2021, and even 2022 is still trending uh, above a lot of the years in the previous expansion with inventories at all time low. So there's plenty of homes out there just because you have to, people have to realize this, a net seller is a home buyer for the majority of the part. So when that person sells a home and then buys another one, the inventory becomes a wash. When rates rise and some people cannot afford to move up or move down, then that inventory doesn't even go onto the market really, but the demand hit is there. We see that in the applications. We saw it in the previous uh, expansion as well. So this is pretty much all demand driven. I wouldn't blame inventory in this inventory is increasing. So uh, uh, I'm in the opposite camp. This is higher rates. This is higher rates with home prices. Uh, together, it is the biggest affordability hit that I can remember in recent history. Uh, and remember, there's no exotic loan debt structures anymore. So everything is legit. So these things matter. And this is why I created that kind of the affordability uh, uh, index model that if this amount of home price happens, 10-year yield gets above 1.94%, it's going to be an issue. That can take away the total home sales of 6.2 million, which we've had in 2020 and 2021. So we see it. It's demand destruction. It's not, a, it's not an inventory issue. In that sense, the inventory issue is seen in the home price growth data on a year-over-year basis. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, the next article I write for Housing Wire, hopefully, that will give people a lot of data to look at the difference between what we're dealing now and what we dealt with over the last forty years, uh, especially in the last uh, fifteen years, to give people kind of a, a a heads up on what to look for when things are really turning on to the other side. Well, kind of spoiler alert, but later in this episode, we're going to have Tracy Bell on to talk about agent and broker sentiment. And um, our most recent agent sentiment report did not have inventory as a top five concern from agents in this market, which I think is really supportive of the point that you're making right now about demand destruction. So if we believe there's been some demand destruction uh, in, in the last quarter, as we've seen incredibly high home price appreciation over the last two years, what do you look at? What metrics and what environment are you paying the most attention to as we enter the second half of 2022? What are going to be signals of health and what are going to be signals of weakness as we think about the supply and demand imbalance and shifts in that balance? So specifically for the years 2020 to 2024 period, once inventory channels broke under 1.52 million, that was a serious red flag. And for me, until we get back into a range of 1.52 million or 1.93 million, I am not taking off the savagely unhealthy housing market. And for me, it's to try to show people 40-year total inventory charts to so people can visually see how bad the inventory situation got after 2020 and why are prices still rising when demand is falling. On the demand side, it's, for me, it's always been really simple. You follow the purchase application data on a year-over-year -year basis, not on a week-to-week, -week, but on a year-over-year -year basis, and then look at it on a four-week moving yeah. average. And as long as it's going negative year-over-year, -year, uh, uh, sales trends are falling. 
2022 is going to be the first authentic year that we've had declines in purchase application data going back to 2014 levels. Uh, last year, the COVID-19 comps were creating a lot of distortion. You don't have that after February of this year. So everything's legit. So you really need to keep a, uh, an eye on that. As long as purchase application data is negative year over year, the trends will be negative. And we actually want inventory to increase. Uh, uh, I, I cannot stress how unhealthy the housing market got when we broke under 1.52 million. So we're still far away from there. Um, but uh, we, we can get into that range if we see more weakness in demand. And, and if you look at housing post-1996, really, uh, the only time inventory really grew with monthly supply growth is when demand weakness happened. And then we had the forced credit selling uh, of 2006 to 2011. That's not going to be the case anymore. So it's going to be this really titanic King Kong versus Godzilla battle between really good demographics and the affordability issues. Uh, uh, and, you know, to me, when if total home sales go under 5 million, that's new and existing homes, that means that the uh, uh, affordability issue won uh, and there is real demand destruction. We're not there. Uh, we're not even close to being there yet. But that, that to me is like those are the sticking points and, and data lines that I'm, I'm going to be tracking for the rest of the year. How do you triangulate these potential price reductions with a market that may have continued home price appreciation? So historically speaking, uh, price reductions are 30% of the marketplace all the time. Um, we're currently uh, at 24%. So we're below normal. Uh, about 2018 levels, the last time where we saw a little bit of uh, a weakness, uh, or actually we saw weakness in sales demands. I think at the end of 2017, existing home sales were trending at 5.72 million. And by January of 2019, we got to 4.98 million. Uh, where our sales trends are heading back there. We got up to about 37 to 38% uh, price reductions uh, back then. So we're still below normal. And I, I don't think a lot of people know that. I think people just, when they see uh, somebody do a price reduction, they always say, here it comes. I've seen that for like 11 years. People take Zillow snapshots and they go, here it comes. No, uh, there's a certain percentage that's uh, very normal. We're not back at normal yet, but we're heading toward that way. And as long as purchase application data year over year is going negative, we're going to see more of that. And then we should have more inventory. Um, but again, we're working from such a low level that we have to pr present it in context that we want to get back to something normal. And that's really a range between 1.52 million and 1.93 million. Ladies and gentlemen, Logan Motoshami, lead analyst for Housing Wire. Logan, thank you. Pleasure. All right, we will continue forward with our state of housing report. We just spent some time talking about some of the industry data points to help frame the state of housing in June of 2022. Inventory, mortgage rates, application data, and each of these data points is influencing behavior across the industry. So I'm excited to welcome Connie Kim, a reporter from Housing Wire, to join us to talk about consumer sentiment. Connie, welcome. Hi, Clayton. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled that you're here, Connie. So you've been prolific in your your coverage re coverage recently, and I'm I'm so excited about the velocity and and scope of the topics you've been covering across the the housing landscape. One of those areas where where you have been focused is consumer sentiment and how some of the data points that we just talked about are impacting the way consumers feel about the current housing market. 
Connie, can you give us a glimpse into some of your recent coverage on consumer sentiment? Yeah, so a great way to gauge consumer pessimism in the housing industry is looking at Fannie Mae's Home Purchasing Sentiment Index. Um, This index basically tracks the housing market and consumer confidence to sell or buy a home. Now, if you look back at the index um, tracked in May, the index fell marginally, declining 0.3 points to 68.2. Now, the drop might not seem so big if we're comparing this year's numbers, but if we compare it to the same period last year, it actually dropped more than 11 points from May 2021. And overall, it's inching closer to its 10-year and pandemic low of 63 recorded back in April 2020. Now, I want to shed some light on how they gauge this um, home purchasing sentiment index. It basically looks at um, components such as asking consumers whether it's a good time to buy or sell and what direction mortgages are going to move. And for me, what really stood out to me was that almost eight out of 10 consumers believe it's a bad time to buy a home. And about seven out of 10 respondents expect mortgage rates to climb during the next 12 months. And while fewer respondents than in previous surveys were worried about losing their jobs, more households expected their income to drop, which could potentially affect their home purchasing decisions. Connie, does the survey give us a glimpse into what a more normalized market might look like? And we know we've heard Logan talk about this savagely unhealthy housing market Should the sentiment survey be closer to 50% where 50% of consumers believe it's a good time and bad time? Would would that indicate balance? Well, I think definitely the rising mortgage rates are going to have an impact on this consumer um, housing sentiment because um, we have been seeing mortgage rates hitting a 13-year high of 5.27% in early May. And after that, it's been falling marginally for the three consecutive weeks. But back in in June, um, we are seeing that um, climbing that a bit. But while while we are, we have been seeing a little bit of rate drop, um, it doesn't seem like the drop was large enough to persuade buyers into the market. Now, after all, despite the marginal decline, purchase mortgage rates are significantly higher than the 2.99% rate during the same period last year. So another rate of how there has been decreased interest in buying um, homes is looking at purchase application volume. So this week, we saw the purchase application volume drop about 6.5%, sliding to the lowest level in 22 years. And what the Mortgage Bankers Association is saying that the purchase market suffered from persistently low housing inventory, like Logan mentioned earlier, and the jump in mortgage rates over the past two months, noting that affordability is going to get worse, particularly hitting first-time buyers. This, that first-time home buyer challenge is, is definitely a notable one where they don't have the benefit of of selling a home to to leverage their housing equity for, for a down payment. So definitely an area that we, we would anticipate being extremely sensitive to this current job market. I'm, I'm curious if, and this may not be the case, but if Fannie Mae or any other coverage has, has mentioned that if the consumer sentiment is also impacted by just the challenging market. And when I talk to prospective home buyers out there today, there's some fatigue of submitting offer after offer after offer and, and continually getting not or uh, losing out in competitive situations. Mm-hmm. As we start to see a little less competition in this market, do you think that that could have a positive impact on, on consumer sentiment or do some of these economic factors potentially weigh a little bit heavier? 
Well, we'll definitely have to see how the mortgage rates are going to fluctuate um, in accordance to the to the interest rates that the Fed is um, expecting to raise a couple times this year and next year. But definitely, I've been hearing from Fannie Mae's um, research that they are expecting a slowdown in home sales in the second and third quarters of this year. Now, you may remember that they the the Fannie Mae's Economic and Strategic Research Group they forecasted that the economy is going to have a modest recession in the second half of next year, and amid a elevated inflation and a rapidly rising environment rate, that's going to bring contraction happening sooner. So we'll definitely have to see, you know, how the mortgage rates uh, move and how whether that's going to actually contribute to a slowdown in home sales going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I, I hear you loud and clear. The topic of rates keeps coming back up and we'll, we'll get deeper into real estate agent and loan officer and builder sentiment in the upcoming segments. But we keep hearing of rates being the one of the, the top concerns over a lot of things that I think are actually longer term, more impactful. And we've talked about this multiple times on on housing news. When you purchase a new home, um, there's a lot of variables, but you're only locking in one thing. And what you're locking in is the price you purchased the home at. Mortgages are able to be refinanced. And that is something that I think consumers should, you know, think, think long and hard about, like, even if they are purchasing in an environment at 5.5 and there may be a time in our economy where rates are lower than they are today, refinance is always an ops option. So, um, that's my, that's my fly on the wall to sense of, um, how consumers may be able to combat this, this negative sentiment, but Connie, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to walk through some of the data and your reporting and the intelligence you've gained by paying such close attention to what these experts, analysts, and economists are, the work they're doing. No, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be sharing this insight with you guys. And now we're going to take a, a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. Keep listening for two powerful ways to use non-QM in today's market. This is Stephen Winokur from Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions with today's non-QM minute. Let's talk interest only. Did you know there was a 40-year fixed interest only option available with many of our non-QM products? Borrowers qualify on the 30-year amortized amount, but can get a lower interest only payment for the first 10 years. It is also a great way for real estate investors to maximize cash flow on rental properties. Have you heard of delayed financing? Borrowers who pay cash can get it back when they get a mortgage within six months of purchase. Originators get their commission. Borrowers get the house and a large portion of their money back. Everyone wins. Our non-QM loans provide an easy solution for delayed financing deals. Schedule time with your clients today to explain how this works. Need help? Call Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions and we will join your meetings. And that's today's non-QM Minute. All right, folks. So we just hit on consumer sentiment with Connie Kim, and I want to transition over to some of the the sentiment and momentum or lack of momentum that we may be seeing from real estate brokers and agents. So I have Tracy Velt joining me right now. Tracy is the editorial director for HW Media and has decade, decades of experience working with real trends directly with real estate brokers across the country through our Gathering of Eagles event and CEO groups and agent and broker rankings and has an incredible pulse on how brokers and agents are feeling and performing and what they're forecasting in future quarters. We are also have the advantage of Tracy 
helping run and write about our broker polls and agent pulse quarterly surveys. So we're going to dive into some of that data. Tracy, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Tracy, let, let's kick off with broker pulse. Tell us about the survey and your most recent findings. Sure. So the broker pulse is a forward-looking um, survey gauging brokerage leader sentiment and really C-suite executive sentiment on, on the next three months of the real estate market. And we've definitely seen a decline in the optimism of brokers. I know that in our Q2 um, broker poll survey, really we had 53% were still optimistic about the market overall, but that was down quite a bit from the 76% who were optimistic in Q1 2022. What I found is in just talking to brokers is that home prices, they're in sales volume, they expect to be pretty decent, but transaction sites will definitely take a hit. Um, some of them, I know Rick Haas of United Real Estate, I went to their convention. He did a whole uh, market update. He felt that they would be down about 15% um, in the coming probably two quarters or three quarters. Um, so yeah, so I, I think the, the sentiment is they're, they're still somewhat not optimistic, but cautious. So how are brokers responding to this drop in optimism? What are the operational changes or priorities that they're putting in place right now as they prepare for the rest of Q2 and, and really looking forward to the second half of the year? You know, I think, um, honestly, COVID, uh, the beginning of COVID, when the lockdowns happened, really helped prepare them. They immediately went into preservation mode, cutting expenses, cutting operating expenses, advertising. Um, they definitely boosted their their marketing and advertising since the market um, you know has skyrocketed. However, those operational costs they've kept a pretty tight handle on those, closing some offices, consolidating. Um, you have a handful who are doubling down on offices and, and expanding offices. So, I think the sentiment really is that because of going through the Great Recession. There are a lot of brokers who are completely prepared for a market shift right now. And they know that despite the boom, they've been through many of these already. And so they're, they're prepared and they're really doubling down on gaining market share through this time, through mergers, acquisitions, just recruiting. Um, they're also really focused on one-on-one -on -one relationships with their agents, which is something that COVID with the Zoom calls and in weekly meetings really helped them realize the true benefit of those relationships. So overall, I think they're they're pretty prepared, but they will be making some adjustments to training and to what they offer and and really their core services really um, leaning on those to to give them a little boost in, in profit margin. So are there any common characteristics that you've seen amongst the brokers that are continuing to gain market share as we go through this challenging market dynamic with extremely low inventory? Um, as far as, you know, the ones I talk to, they've always been very optimistic and about the business and very passionate about real estate. And, you know, they're really undeterred by any type of market shift. They, they look for opportunities rather than think of anything as a challenge. And so, you know, what I see, and I think that's the, the industry overall, they're really the brokers who are really focused on growth 
um, are looking for opportunities to grow no matter what the market. And then you've got flat fee brokerages, which have really been gaining in market share. And those are um, the, the flat fee brokerages usually charge a transaction fee rather than a commission split with the agents. Um, and they, you know, transaction sides being down will mean that they're going to take a hit unless they have desk fees that they charge or they really rely on their core services. But even those brokers are really focused on uh, market share at all costs. They're willing to take a hit to gain market share in this down market. So you mentioned that brokers are putting a lot of emphasis on relationships and communications with their top performing agents. So let's use that insight to transition over and talk about the agent pulse survey, which we also completed earlier this quarter, which signaled some softening of the market. But give us some insight into the data that the agents helped us reveal through this survey. Yeah, the interesting part is that the agents were much more pessimistic about the market than the brokers were. What's I new? mean, yeah, so they we had 38 percent um, were optimistic compared in Q2 um, compared to Q1 numbers, which were 71 percent were were upbeat. They're really focusing. Uh, they're seeing a lot of price reductions right now. in the in the ones that I've talked to, even in hot markets, um, they're seeing some price reductions. I think that with agents, you've got a lot more um new agents who may have only known a boom market and they've had to deal with some pretty significant challenges just getting offers accepted and and um so i really feel like in some ways it's sharpened their skills a little more than a a different market might have um but overall i think that they do think sales will be up at least five percent or more um in the next three months and they really feel like home sales in general will be flat Interesting. What were some of the core stress points that made agents more pessimistic this quarter than we've seen in recent quarters? Definitely the state of the economy, interest rates, um, inflation. Those were really the top two challenges. Housing affordability with home prices just skyrocketing. They're seeing a lot more um, people priced out of their markets. And um, their third challenge was really connecting with their sphere of influence, which will really get them through this market shift is focusing on that sphere of influence, which doesn't need to be very big to produce a lot of results. Um, Some coaches recommend 150 to 200 people in their sphere um, can really make their business if they focus on on connecting in the relationships with those people. One of the data points that really caught my eye in this report was we ranked 12 challenges for real estate agents and number seven was low inventory that was behind interest rates and affordability and connecting with the sphere and leads professionalism of other agents and business planning. Why do you think inventory wasn't top of mind as the biggest challenge for agents in this current market? Well, I mean, if you look at our um, real trends, 500 brokerage rankings, The transaction sides for 2001, that's the data that we use, were were up. I don't even know what percentage, but they they skyrocketed. So low inventory didn't really mean a whole lot. They still had more transactions. So there are homes for sale. They just aren't sitting on the market. Although I know their last Realtor.com May Housing Trends report did say that they're seeing an uptick in inventory. But a lot of agents think that's a good thing because that just gives them more options for the people they're working with. Yeah. 
I um I, I want to clarify there. I think you may have said 2001. We're talking about we're comparing to 2021, correct? Oh, sorry. Yes, 2021. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, well, yep. That, that'd be an interesting comparison. Yeah. We, could, we could run that an- <laughs> analysis too. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for sharing your insight on the our broker pulse and agent pulse surveys. Um, this has been very helpful. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks, we are we are back with James Kleiman, managing editor of Housing Wire and our, our Housing Wire newsroom. And we just spent some time talking about real estate broker and agent sentiment. And we had some really interesting data there driven by our real trends, broker pulse and agent pulse survey. James has been and from time to time is the, the lead editor on our Lending Life newsletter, a newsletter that is built and published specifically for loan originators, which gives him an awesome vantage point and dialogue with originators across the country. James, how would you describe loan originator sentiment as we navigate this rising rate, low inventory market that we that is summer of 2022? I think it really depends on the position that the loan officer is in. So it comes down to their experience, it comes down to their pipeline, and it comes down to other opportunities. And so if Let's say you're a loan officer and you got into it two or three years ago, and, and you know maybe you have a few victories here and there, but you don't have a huge book of business. You don't have realtors calling you up and, and asking you to, to, to work out a deal as quick as possible. You're going to struggle. You might even wash out. However, if you've been doing this for a while, you've been in different cycles, you kind of have the perspective to say, look, it's a tough time. I really need to shift parts of my business. Maybe I need to market a little bit better to you know, financial advisors or, you know, find a new book of business out there. If, if my usual sources are drying up, um, you know, they're fine. They're doing okay. And in fact, a lot of them kind of welcome this because, you know, from their perspective, there are too many LOs. There are too many salesmen. There are not enough of them who know how to do anything beyond the vanilla 30 year. And, and they kind of see this as like a survival of the fittest scenario. And so, like I said, it really depends on, on kind of who you catch and what their experience is and, and uh, there's always sales bluster. And, and I think you have to be, you know, you have to believe in yourself to, to be a salesperson and, and that you can, you can do it. But, you know, the reality is a lot of people wash out. I think we're down 7,000 mortgage jobs at minimum, you know, from, from this time last year. And, and that's probably conservative. So, yeah, people are, are exiting. But if you're good, you've been doing it for a while. You're probably making money, maybe not as much as last year or the year before. But, you know, I don't think you or your kids are going hungry. Yeah, there seems to be a, a big differentiation between the originators who made a great income or, or cut their teeth as order takers and those that actually know how to sell and bring in business and nurture relationships and keep a pipeline going. As we think about that different skill set, there's that's also supported by product mix and operational background that comes from the institution that you you work for the institution that that you lead are you starting to see any trends in recruiting or movement amongst originators or, or brokers or other folks in the industry as they they seek the right home for the market dynamic that we are currently in yeah i do think you know i, I i've been doing this for a few years now and when i started i remember chatting with a lot of the folks who were very um you know they're, they're sort of like the rah-rah broker crowd and and they love to tell you that any day now, all of the top retail loan originators are are gonna make the switch. They're they're gonna you know cross the line. They're gonna be brokers. They're gonna have their own stable of, of LOs and kill it. And and I've been waiting. I've been saying, guys, like where where are these people? 
they haven't come yet. What's what's going on? And and now we're finally starting to see a little bit of it. We're we're seeing clothesline. Uh, we're seeing pipelines get closed out. We're starting to see um, some top LOs make those switches. Um, we're we're seeing a little bit more risk taking, I guess you could say. And it's it look if, if you've done it for a while and and um and you have a good book of business, you know how to recruit. You have some of those raw skills that that can be utilized. If you want to bet on yourself now, it's probably the best time to do it, right? So, so I, I do think we're seeing some of that. I don't think the broker space is going to be fifty percent of the market or anything like that, you know, over the next few years. But, but could they start approaching thirty, thirty-five? Yeah, I mean, you, you have, depending on your skill set, you have a lot more optionality. Uh, unless you work at a lender that has a lot of different products and gives you the freedom to to have, um, you know, a dedicated team or pretty good comp or, or good rates. You know, I mean, you can really, you can kind of control your destiny if you're good and confident. If you're not and you make the move, um, you can certainly uh, get some blood on your face. Well, welcome to housing where the only constant is change. James, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks, Clayton. All right, folks, I'm back uh, with Sarah Wheeler, editor-in-chief at HW Media, where she leads Housing Wire's newsroom and all of our news efforts across Real Trends, Reverse Mortgage Daily, and Finn Ledger. We're coming into the final segment for the day, and we're going to talk about home builder sentiment. And if you've been tuning into the Housing News Podcast all season, you likely heard an episode that I did with Rick Palacios of John Burns Research about two months ago where we talked about some of the home builder sentiment in the spring it had taken a relatively negative turn. And just this week, Rick and the team at John Burns research released their may home builder sentiment survey results. And there's some, again, some pretty, pretty cutting results that I think are, uh, you know, may, maybe screaming a little bit louder than the, how the market actually feels when you compare against stock market performance. But um, there's definitely some themes that are worth talking about. And Sarah, I'd love to kind of run through some of these top themes with you, kind of starting with some of the perspectives that Rick shared about builder metrics, and maybe we can tie it out with some NHB survey results. Absolutely. So, you know, what we see from the NHAB is that um, there's definitely a slowdown in the suburb growth in the big suburban areas, which has been huge. I mean, that's usually where you see home building, right? In my area, I live in what used to be a cow pasture and there's like, you know, we're spreading out all over the place. This is where there is, is room to grow. And so when you see builder sentiment really turn uh, sour when you're looking at, at large suburban areas, that probably doesn't bode well for any parts of the market. I think what's really interesting about some of the things that uh, Rick Palacios and his team, you know, talked about is in metro areas across the country, including Austin, which has been something that I've been reporting on for a couple of years. And, you know, my I, I've had a kid live there. Like, I, I know Austin very well. The fact that home builders there are seeing a pretty big slowdown and even price reductions is crazy. If you'll remember, Austin was one of the places where they had people camping out when a new when a new subdivision was being announced just to get on the list for the lot i mean there was there wasn't a spec home there they were just camping out to get on a list for the lot so the fact that he is seeing and and one of the things that he um a theme of all of the the different areas that he talks about is that they're they're asking for price reductions like that um that buyers are coming into it that there are buyer incentives now that buyers are kind of expecting there to be some incentives um the fact that there's not multiple that things aren't already sold out before they even get get uh finished and that you're seeing spec homes 
sit on the market for, I know this sounds ridiculous, but like for a week. So, I mean, that, that sounds ridiculous, but it goes to an overall, you know, feeling in the market that things have changed very quickly. Even in the last month, I think things have changed. That's really interesting. One of the areas that Rick hits on quite a bit in his overall summary, as well as his dive into a lot of specific markets is slowing sales rates and some sentiment from builders. And I I guess probably some of the the, the regional sales managers that hitting the sales targets that were set earlier in the year and the pace that homes have been selling at is, is just impossible. Sarah, what were some of the drivers that you've seen from our coverage and from these surveys of why these sales rates are, are slowing and, and why this home builder sentiment has deteriorated? I mean, absolutely. It's mortgage rates is, is probably the number one, right? Um, as you, as mortgage rates go up, you can afford less house and in a builder situation, I mean, they're building to a certain amount. So it's, it's different than just like, Hey, you know, you, you're a, a, a homeowner who's lived in this house for 10 years, you're selling and you, you priced it incredibly high. You're getting all this, you know, all this home price appreciation. So you could bring that down a little bit to, to meet a buyer or to meet a, a set of buyers. Right. But with the home builders, um, you know, this is the price. And so I think that, you know, you absolutely, they're very sensitive to changes in mortgage rates. And and that's what um, Logan, who you have had on this as well, has said that the new home segment is the most sensitive to mortgage rate increases. And of course, we saw a very rapid rise. So it wasn't something that that those sales managers could could factor in over several months. It, it went from three to five so fast that, um, I, or mid threes to five so fast that I think that, um, that really shocked a lot of people. And I think the overall sentiment, if you think about home buyers, um, you know, I mean, maybe they've taken a hit in the stock market even, or even if they have, or even if they're not selling that for 20 years or whatever, it has, it has an effect on people's sentiment. And we see that in the consumer sentiment as well. So much of the new home inventory has been focused in more upscale neighborhoods, not exactly entry level homes. And a lot of the the inventory that's coming to market in Dallas and Charlotte and other markets that are in Austin, other markets that are in the spotlight in Rick's research are markets that are pretty affluent and, and high income. Why are these markets more sensitive to moves in mortgage rates than we might see in the existing home sales market? I really think that it's... Um because of what I just said that like, these are people, and and I agree with you, like uh, so much of the new homes that are being built, they're not, I mean, these aren't first time home buyers, mm-hmm. uh, mostly, right? They're in afflu- affluent places, but those are also the people who might be uh, seeing stock market losses. They might've seen crypto losses. Um, they might be running companies and seeing that even in their own company, they might have to be scaling back a little bit or laying off. So I, I do think that there's some of that going at just the psyche of the people who are buying the houses. I, I think if we follow your work and Logan's work, we we know that new home construction will not be the savior to any housing shortages that, that we have in this country, but we still hear loan originators and real estate agents and other folks across the housing industry hungry for new, more new inventory to come to market so we can get past some of these perceived inventory challenges. As you think about this negative sentiment in the home building space, Sarah, are there any bright spots that that you can identify in, in ways that this current market dynamic or current sentiment might actually be positive for the housing market? Wow. You've asked me a really tough question there. Um, I, I think 
One of the hard things is we just we just got a a survey that we wrote up yesterday about the fact that inventory is low across the board all over the place. So the fact that um, inventory is still so low, like to your point, we're not seeing it come from the the builders for obvious reasons. But the problem is, um, you know, if you just refi it into an historically low rate, why, you know, what are your incentives to sell and then go buy become a buyer at a at a much higher rate? You know, you might have incentives if you're moving back to family, if your if your job changes, if your family situation changes and you need a, a larger place. Otherwise, I think you're shutting down a ton of people who might be, you know, mobile in this way because they're they're signing up for a higher payment. Why would they do that? Plus they're, you know, plus the houses have gone up. Even, even if we're seeing a little bit of cool down, if they bought 10 years ago and now they have this historically low rate you know, what is their incentive to move? And we've already seen tenure really arise, you know, rising over the last 10 years. And now it's what uh, I think 13 years is, um, there's a range, but 13 years is pretty conservative. That's a really long time. If people are going to stay in their houses, that was before they had historically low rates. So I am sorry, Clayton, I don't see a lot of bright spots. I do. We are always looking for like alternative models, like who's going to come up with the answer to this question. It is something that we're always looking at. But when you look at tiny homes, when you look at 3D printed homes, when you look at ways to increase, you know, ADUs in the backyard, I mean, I don't see a large scale solution on the horizon. Yeah. I mean, I I like play with the concept that somebody's pain is somebody else's gain. And if the builders are seeing a deceleration in demand and shorter wait lists and buyer incentives are coming back there there may be an opportunity or maybe this comes back to like Logan's argument that rising interest rates can dampen this incredibly high paced home price appreciation market. And this may be a signal of that and the rise in interest rates um, as it was intended to, to an extent may actually slow down this incredibly competitive market and make it a little more balanced. That is, that is the only uh, bright spot I can find in this data. No, I'm with you on that. And, you know, uh, it's not like, you know, people who have been shut out of the market for now um, two years, they they may be feeling like, oh, we can finally do it. We can finally get in. We do know that there is still this huge demand for the next couple of years, at least. After that, I'm not sure. But we know that millennials are going to be reaching that age where they want to get into houses for the next two years. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot out there to buy. Yeah. What'll be interesting to see is if builder financial performance when they were on the next quarter's stock price or, or stock reporting actually matches this sentiment. Because I know Q1 and indications we saw in Q2 were, were very positive margin profiles. And I, I'm really interested to see if the financial performance matches the sentiment as we look out to the remainder of 2022. Well, I think that's one of uh, Logan's themes is that the builders learned their lesson in the past, uh, even as as recently as 2018, where they got burned by rising rates. And so they're, they've figured, you know, they have a good strategy. They're not going to get over their skis. And so them pulling back doesn't mean that there's nobody who wants to buy homes. It's them pulling back as like, in my opinion, uh, guarding their their profit margin, which they should do, right? They're, they're businesses. They're not in the charity business. And so they they know what that formula looks like. I don't think we should look at that and go, oh, the sky is falling and no one wants to buy a home. I think we should look at it and go, they they want to protect their margins. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Folks, this wraps our, our, our mid-year state of housing update. 
A big thank you to James Kleiman, Logan Motoshami, Connie Kim, Tracy Bell, and Sarah Wheeler for joining me to talk about the topics and data points that are most important as we kind of observe and uh, and think about the current state of housing and uh, the health of the market that we're in as we navigate into the second half of 2022. All right, that's a wrap for the June 2022 State of Housing podcast report on the Housing News Podcast Show. This is a first for me. I haven't done an episode with five guests like this, so I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, if you want us to do this episode again and, and keep the State of Housing reports going, please visit us on iTunes. Like, like check it out. Go to iTunes. Wait the, rate the show. I will, I'll sit here and wait for you. You can you can rate the show right now. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give our channel a subscribe. We don't usually publish episodes of the Housing News Podcast on YouTube. But I think it's something we're going to start doing more regularly. So if you do enjoy it, you like us on iTunes, you like us on YouTube, we'll keep producing these state of housing reports for you. Um, I had a great time doing it, and I hope it was valuable for you, our Housing News audience. Have a great day.